Welcome to Yes You, a podcast for women to imagine, explore, and step right on into a new paradigm of life and leadership. I'm Annie Carter, a conscious business owner, yoga practitioner, and a big believer that this world needs all women to show up just as we are. This world needs you. Yes, you. Are you in? Let's do this. Hello, how are you? So good to have you here with me. Thanks for joining me again. I want to pause and pay my respect to our First Nations people. And as I mentioned in my last episode, I am reading Anita Heiss's book, Billa Yarradungalung Duray, or River of Dreams. I'm reading this as part of the Eve Book Club, and you are more than welcome to join us. It's a super loose book club. It's really basically we all read the book and there's one online Zoom gathering to talk about it towards the end of a three-month period. So yeah, you can kind of do it in your own time. Join the chat if you'd like, but just nice to be reading alongside each other. So yeah, I would really encourage you to read this book. It's a great book, actually. I have found myself wanting to go and read, which is always a good feeling. It's a good sign about a book, isn't it? Where you just kind of want to stop your day and just go and sneak in a few more pages. That's what it's felt like for me. And one thing that I have really noticed about this book is not only, as I talked about last week, obviously, that Anita Heiss, the author, chose to use the Wiradjuri words, the Aboriginal words, language, as the title, and then offer the English uh, as, I guess, an alternate title uh, or a translation of the title. Also through the book, Wiradjuri language is just woven throughout. And I noticed as I was reading it that the Wiradjuri language is not like in italics or anything. It's not kind of uh, made to stand out in any particular way. It is literally just kind of woven in. And I noticed that. And that got me thinking, why does that capture my attention, what's interesting about that. And I think that at least part of it is that it's how used to being centred I am that me as white and non-Indigenous and English speaking, I'm so used to being at the centre of my little world and everything kind of set up around me to accommodate me that anything that kind of isn't my normal, I'm doing inverted commas, should be highlighted. It should be in italics. It should be kind of indicated to be other rather than treated as normal. And Anita Heiss just doesn't go that way. <laughs> and so she, by her just including this language, this Aboriginal language in and amongst all of the English language, it's just saying, this is normal. This is standard. And for me, as I come across these words that I don't understand, the invitation is there for me to go and do some research, to go and find out what this word means and to not just kind of expect that everything gets handed to me in a way that's easy for me, which is kind of what I'm so used to being centered as white, cisgendered, hetero, middle-class people are kind of used to being in our society. 
I mean, there is a glossary at the end of the book, and so it's not even that hard to go and find this information. But yeah, I just love how the language is just scattered throughout the book and it normalizes it and it kind of decenters those of us who are used to being centered. It's like, no, you're not part of this. You don't know this. You're going to have to work a little bit to kind of get this. Basically, it's just really reminded me of how important that is for those of us who are used to being right at the center, to put ourselves in positions where we are not, where we don't know, and where it's not all set up to accommodate and work for us, where maybe our perspective needs a little shift. We need to learn something new or to appreciate something that we otherwise didn't get. It's good to be in these spaces. You can do that by reading authors that are different to you, jump on board, like I said, with this book club. Love to have you in it. Um, Follow people on Instagram that have different opinions to you. Follow our First Nations people on Instagram wherever you can. There are so many who are generously offering their perspectives, their creativity, their wisdom, and there's so much learning that we can do uh, simply by following and being in those places where we're not the centre and we get to learn and get to uh, take it all in and, and process. I think it's a really important thing for us to do. So yeah, for me, it's a little bit of a red flag. If I have a look at my Instagram feed, my social media, and I'm like, "Mm, everything on this looks like me, sounds like me, talks like me, does stuff like me. It's like, hmm, okay, maybe I need to mix that up a bit. All right. So have you heard of Pavlov and his dog? I'm sure that you have come across Pavlov. Ivan or Ivan Pavlov was a Russian physiologist in the 1890s who was during the 1890s studying salivation in dogs, the production of saliva in dogs, and created a weird little device where he could detect how much dogs were salivating. And then he would put food in front of the dogs and notice that they would salivate as soon as the food was put in front of them. And that's kind of to be expected. Put food in front of any of us, we're probably going to salivate. But then Pavlov started to notice that the dogs would begin to salivate as they heard the footsteps of whoever was bringing the food to them. So the footsteps would be the trigger for the salivation of the dogs. And so then Pavlov did this experiment where he would sound a metronome, like a gong kind of sound, before giving the dogs food. And so the metronome would sound, give them the food, the dogs would salivate when they see it, and then they'd eat the food. And then after repeating this a number of times, they could just sound the metronome, the gong sound, and the dogs would salivate, even if there was no food. So for a dog to salivate when food is put in front of it is an unconditioned response. Pretty much any dog will do that. Put the food there, it's going to salivate. But For a dog to salivate at the sound of a metronome is a conditioned response. Most dogs wouldn't salivate when they hear the sound of a gong or a metronome, but Pavlov's dog was conditioned to make that association with food coming when the metronome was sounded. And so the metronome itself was enough to set off salivation in Pavlov's dog. 
it's very high chance that you knew all of that, but a good little refresher of your memory. So I want to tell you a story about the time that I Pavloved myself. So (laughs) I was working for a community service organization and for a period of the time that I was there, I was on call. So I was on call for a couple of things, like one for any of our social workers and things, if there was sort of any major issue that I would be the one that got called and had to respond. And also I was on call for if anybody broke into our um, building that the alarm company would call me. And so basically I had to have my phone on all of the time. Oh my gosh, even saying that, I think people who know me would be like, oh my gosh, that would not work for you, Annie, because I am like constantly have my phone on do not disturb. I very rarely actually answer my phone when it rings. But anyway, I digress. Let's come back. So one day my phone rang and I answered the phone and it was like that high pitched squeal sound of kind of like a fax machine sort of sound. I don't know if you (laughs) remember fax machines, but that really like, like really a high pitched sound. And I was like, Whoa, like it gave me a shock because it was quite loud and a squealing sound in my ear. And I was like, Oh gosh. Okay. And was like, hello, hello. Obviously nobody there. And I just hung up. Not too long later, the same thing happened. My phone rang. I answered it, just expecting it to be a person and turned out, no, it was high pitched squeal again, squealing very loud into my ear. And I'm like, ah, okay. Oh my gosh. Like gives me a fright and then hang up. And it started to happen more and more. And I was like, okay, this will not do because it seemed to be coming from, it was coming from different phone numbers. It wasn't just a set number. And because I had to answer my phone. And so I started to be like, well, who knows what I'm going to get when I answer my phone, whether I'm going to get a a regular person or an emergency or something that I need to deal with, or whether it's just going to be my new squealing friend squealing in my ear. Anyway, I looked it up. I can't remember how I found this out, but I found out that it was somehow related to the security system of a big other company, like I'm actually a big like law and consultancy firm. And I contacted them and I explained to them, I've found out that this is actually, it's your system that somehow has got my number in it and it's calling me. And sometimes it's even calling me at like two in the morning and squealing in my ear. And cause I have to answer my phone. I'm getting that 2am squeal experience. And uh, so anyway, I was trying to get them to get on the case and to work it out so that I didn't get those calls anymore. But it continued and it continued for quite a while. And I reckon it was after a couple of months of these calls just coming any (laughs) time, any time of the day or night, and just never quite knowing that they were coming, but getting that shock. And I found myself becoming more and more stressed and more and more frustrated each time that it happened. And so what initially was like, oh, that's a loud sound in my ear. Uh, And then I just hang up and not think too much more of it actually became this like, oh my gosh, this is driving me mad. Like this is really, really frustrating. It's really stressful. It would send my nervous system into a stress state every time. And while my attempts to get the firm to sort it out so that these calls stopped coming through to me were so far futile, 
I was like, I've got to do something about this. I can't not answer my phone because it's part of the requirement of my role. And so I was like, I need to change my reaction to that sound. So I just thought I'll just start a little experiment of my own, get my own Pavlov on and see if I can change the way that I react to this sound. So here's what I did. Every time that it happened, that I'd answer the phone and the loud squeal would go in my ear, I would consciously exhale. (sighs) like a conscious choice to just drop my shoulders, to relax my jaw, to relax my body. So initially it was like the loud squeal and I'd have that very quick response of like starting to be like, you know, frustrated and um, stressed. But as fast as I could catch myself, I would then just relax. And bit by bit, it got to where I could just Pretty much as soon as I heard it, ah, I could relax. I could breathe out, soften, not go into that stress state. And eventually it got to a point where I didn't even have to choose to relax. The sound of this high-pitched squeal in my ear actually would trigger a relaxation response in me. I'd hear it and it was like my whole body would just go, like I'd soften. I had effectively Pavloved myself. And that was a really great experience for me. It was really eye-opening because I was like, well, where else can I apply this? What other conditioned responses might I have that I could rewire basically? And so the question is to you, what kind of conditioned responses do you have that aren't really working for you? And maybe you could Pavlov yourself too. (laughs) So basically to retrain that conditioning. Now, of course, we have those unconditioned responses, the things that just happen and they would happen pretty much to anyone in that same situation. You know, you're driving along and a car cuts in front of you in a dangerous way. And of course, you get a rush of energy at that point because you fear for your life in that split second. The reptilian part of your brain is like, protect yourself. And so you get a big rush of energy and that might show up as anger, frustration. You might honk your horn. You might shout, you might swear, you might get scared, whatever it is. So those are like your unconditioned responses, but your conditioned responses are more like things like this. So let's say you're still driving and you get stuck behind a tram or behind a slow car and you just start to get frustrated. You start to get angry getting really annoyed. Now that can happen to anyone of us at any point, but if you notice that that actually has become a conditioned response from you, that you could be happily going about your day and then you find yourself stuck behind a tram and you start to go into a particular state, you start to get frustrated or angry or impatient or whatever it is, you kind of lose your good vibes for the day in that time. And it happens habitually, like every time you get stuck behind a tram, not just the times when you actually need to get somewhere and you're rushing or whatever, but just the actual experience of being stuck behind a tram and having to go slower as you drive has this same conditioned response. Then that's something that you could look at. Another example might be when you look at yourself in the mirror and immediately you go into negative self-talk. You start to 
fixate on things that you don't feel so good about in your body or in your face or whatever that might be. Another example would be if your partner or your kid or your friend does or says something to you and gets you riled up. I can imagine for plenty of parents out there, especially in these times of lockdown, in fact, not just imagine, I've had people tell me where it's like, if I hear my kids say, mom, one more time, like I'm going to blow my top. That might be something that actually is you starting to have a conditioned response as soon as they do a particular thing or as soon as you hear a particular tone of voice or maybe you hear a particular word, it might be that you come in and you find a room in a mess or whatever it is, but you just can see you're having this same habitual response to the same trigger over and over, then that could be a conditioned response. And sometimes you want to change the situation. You want to change the circumstance. Maybe it's about having a talk with the person. Maybe it's about choosing a different route so that you don't get stuck behind the tram on a regular basis. Maybe it's about not looking in the mirror as much. If you know that looking in the mirror kind of triggers this response in you, but sometimes it could actually be worthwhile to address your response, not the circumstance. So to Pavlov yourself, I have coined that phrase, I believe. (laughs) It's not actually a thing to Pavlov yourself, but go with me. Technically, if you wanted to look this up, it's it's classical conditioning is, is the category that this comes under. But what you can do is to notice what is your trigger, What is the thing, the stimulus that elicits this reaction from you that is a reaction that you're not loving and that's not really working for you? It's not serving you in your day or in your life. And what do you want to train yourself to do or feel instead? So for me, the stimulus was the loud beeping sound in my ear and the reaction that I wanted it to elicit for me was one of relaxation. And so what you do is you pair the trigger, the stimulus with another stimulus that naturally produces the response that you want. So for me, I wanted the response of relaxing. And I know that when you exhale fully and you soften your shoulders and you just do one of those kind of sighs, like, (sighs) that that can coax the body into a relaxed state or at least moves it in that direction. That will happen naturally. So pretty much anybody, if they do a good sigh, a good exhale, it's going to help to calm their nervous system somewhat. So that's a natural thing. So I want to pair that action, the sighing out, with the stimulus of the beeping sound in my ear to get a new reaction rather than the stress to get the reaction of actually feeling settled and feeling relaxed. So other things that you could do would be to smile at that point and feel the experience of smiling because actually just by turning the outer edges of your lips up, it can help you to feel different. It can help to lift your mood. So by practicing it, by training yourself, like literally conditioning yourself, you can create a new association with the stimulus. 
a while back, a number of years ago, I was working as a counsellor for people who were struggling with alcohol and other drugs. And I was working with this beautiful man who struggled with alcoholism. And we would talk about the fact that on his way home from work every day, he would be telling himself, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. And he'd be feeling really strong and really like, don't want to drink, all good. And then there was this roundabout. He'd get to a particular roundabout on his way home and he would know that to turn left at the roundabout would lead him to the bottle shop where it was a drive-through one and where the people knew him because he came there pretty much every day and they would just load him up with you know, a whole lot of beer. And then he would, his night would at that point just follow the same path. He would just go home and, and drink and drink and drink. And we would talk about this roundabout. For him, it was like getting to that roundabout was itself the trigger that elicited a particular reaction. He could be thinking about something completely different. He could be feeling amazing. He could be thinking he doesn't want to drink at all. And then literally he would get to that roundabout and we would joke about it. He would say that it was like his car just didn't know how to go straight through the roundabout. It always just had to do that turn left to get to go to the bottle shop. And so, of course, we explored various different options, including driving home a different way, not going past the roundabout. He had times where if he was on holidays and he wasn't at work and he didn't need to drive that particular way that he could go for days or even weeks without drinking. But it was pretty consistently when he'd come back and if he'd sort of catch himself off guard, it would catch him off guard. He'd sort of come to the roundabout and then find himself almost then just on autopilot, turning left through the bottle shop, loading up the car, and then the night would just follow the same old routine. And so we started to create some new associations with the roundabout. He had this lovely neighbor that he was getting to know and having a a nice little, I think romance, but anyway, nice little um, relationship with. She was a really beautiful friend to him and he really lit up whenever he talked about her. And so we would talk about him getting to that roundabout and consciously at that point thinking about how he was looking forward to seeing his neighbour when he got home. As he thought of her, he would be excited about getting home and he would, yeah, find himself kind of lit up and feeling positive and distracted from the left turn that had been so inevitable for him up to that point. So that's kind of another angle on the whole conditioned response thing. But it's another example that you can, first of all, notice your triggers, as in the stimulus, the thing that kind of sets off the response. Notice what your response is and that it's actually conditioned, that it's something that you have learned. It's like a habit that you've created and it may feel absolutely natural and like there are no alternatives but is actually something that you have trained yourself to do by doing it over and over and then choosing to do something different. So choosing to connect that particular trigger, that particular stimulus with another stimulus that elicits the response that you want. So when you look in the mirror, 
you choose to close your eyes and smile and feel what it feels like to smile, kind of not just with your mouth, but with your whole body. And that that just becomes your habit. It won't become your habit quickly. You have to train. You have to condition yourself slowly and consistently, persistently over time. But eventually you might find that there comes a point where just the act of catching sight of yourself in the mirror brings on a feeling of an internal full body smile. Oh gosh, I hope that you get that. That would be wonderful for all of us, wouldn't it? So have a go with this. You might want to just make the decision at this point to open your eyes to those conditioned responses in your life, the ways that you just react repeatedly, the same way, same situation over and over that don't work for you. Of course, plenty of conditioned responses work fine for us and you can just leave those untouched if you want. But the ones that are not actually serving you Become aware of them and maybe you could have a go of pavloving yourself and see how that goes for you. All right, sending you lots of love. Looking forward to chatting to you soon already. Bye. Thank you for joining me. Head on over to my website, anicarter.com.au, where you'll find some free resources to support you in your life and leadership. Please make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I would really love your help in spreading the word about Yes You. So if you have friends who you think would enjoy it, please let them know. You could take a minute to write a review saying why you're loving it and you could screenshot this episode and share it on your social media. Make sure you tag me on Instagram at underscore Annie Carter. Until next time, let me remind you that you, yes, you are awesome. And I'm so glad you're here. Sending you big love and I'll chat to you soon.